0: Scores. Scores. The left. Off the glass and look for a gill of a gill
1: of a circle. As you be out shot, Save made by all the gill other shot. They score the place with it. Yeah, baby, they score. And the sea of red erupts.
2: Flames talk. Starts now on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Here's Pat Steinberg and Aaron Vickers. All
1: right, we are underway this hour. It is a Tuesday, June 6th, and welcome to this hour of Flames Talk. Welcome to the Sports Drive brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Ask how a restricted key system can keep your business safe, even through employee turnover. Visit CalgaryLockandSafe.com. Yeah, Steinberg and Vickers along with you. Aaron Vickers, of NHL.com back after a trip to the World Championship. Welcome
0: back, buddy. Thanks, buddy. And I've been gone so long, I'm going to need you to update me on all things Flames. Okay, so
1: this hour, lots to get into, including Frank Saravalli, our NHL insider, in just minutes. But uh, right now we're waiting for an update on on the coach. Or maybe not waiting for an update. We're waiting for an announcement on the next head coach of the Calgary Flames. I think we're getting close to a new coach for the team. Uh, we know they're down to a short list. And wouldn't surprise me if we got an announcement in the next few days. Timelines are always weird. So wouldn't surprise me if it happens this week. I just know that they had chosen Conroy. And they had figured out Conroy for four or five days or 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 they'd chosen Conroy and it took four or five days for the announcement to become official so sometimes figuring out contracts and that type of stuff can delay it but I think we're very close to getting this done wouldn't surprise me if we got news this week Elliot Freedman reported Monday down to four or five names I don't know who all those four or five are but I do believe Mitch Love is very much still in that mix as one of the finalists. I believe the same to be true of Ryan Huska. So those are the two internal candidates that got a lot of buzz. And the other one that I believe in is is still in there is Travis Green. And And I think that he's far down the road in okay. terms of the process. So those are the three that I believe that are in the conversation right now. Um, of the four or five-ish that Elliot Friedman has has talked about. Uh Green, of course, last in Vancouver as their head coach until Bruce Boudreau took over in December 2021. So that's kind of where we are right now. That's where things I, I think sit. I think we're close. I think we're getting there, um, and I don't. I think we're kind of in the pocket of an announcement being uh, very much upon us. So we'll see where it goes from there, and we'll uh, we'll see when we get an announcement. But uh, timeline seems about right, kind of early to mid June. Give lots of time going into free agency and the draft, and all types of player moves that might. Fit who your new head coach is going
0: to be. So you heard it here first, Pat Steinberg guarantees tomorrow an announcement on no, the head coach. No, I do Flames not. It was very okay. clear. Very My bad. clear that uh, My bad.
1: it was very clear that who knows because timelines are weird, but I think we're very close.
0: Yeah, you do want to get your head coach in place so that the GM and head coach can and you do this through the interview process obviously, but get on the same page in terms of what you see in the current personnel, what you'd like to add, what you can maybe subtract and basically formulate a game plan heading into free agency on July 1 with knowing what type of player you need, what you might be able to trade, bring back assets, so on and so forth. You just need sort of that cohesiveness. And we heard Craig Conroy say it's going to be working in conjunction yes. with the head coach. It's not going to be two separate entities butting heads, if you will, which is basically what we saw all of last season. Yeah. So you're going to want to get that guy implemented You're going to want to know exactly what their take is on what they have in terms of personnel, what Craig Conroy's is, how they align and you build a plan through the draft because really free agency. Yes. One thing, but there's going to be a lot of movement in this draft, whether the Calgary flames are involved or not in terms of player personnel transactions, but you need to have that in sync with your head coach. So it would make sense doing that sooner rather than later. And of course, Could impact free agents as well. Absolutely. Who you have behind the bench could impact your ability to bring in or not bring in certain players. Flames Talk
1: underway this hour from our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Steinberg and Vickers along with you. were available on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's a Tuesday, which means it's time to check in with our NHL insider, Frank Saravalli, brought to you by South Trail Chrysler. With inventory shortages across the city, it's the perfect time to sell your vehicle for cash. Visit SouthTrailChrysler.com. Frank joins us now from Daily Faceoff and DailyFaceoff.com. Mr. Saravalli, happy uh tuesday to you how we doing how are you? i'm good how are you guys i'm doing well uh we're doing well and uh lots lots kicking around on the nhl front we'll get into some of the big news around the league very shortly but uh want to if, if you're able to get us up to speed on on what you're hearing about calgary's coaching search
2: um really no different than what you guys have spoken about and and heard um the process is sort of ongoing I mentioned I think it was with you last week it might have been with George and Russick and Rose in the morning uh but just like some of the external guys like a Gerard Gallant were out yep um and it's it's always felt like an internal hire to me I've you know I've been pretty consistent in thinking that Mitch Love is the guy uh but we'll see
1: it uh, it feels like it feels like we're knocking on the door. It feels like they're they're kind of down to to short straws. So that's kind of that's kind of where I think things are right now. Um, and and I'm curious which way they end up going. But it it, it feels like at least in this market, Frankie, like you know, they're, we're kind of in the pocket of an announcement being not too far away.
2: Makes sense. I mean, for the reasons you guys just outlined you want to get this piece of business done sooner rather than later, not just for the player personnel part of it, but, um, you know, to engage your, your own free agents to help everyone understand what the process is going to be like to begin to knock off some of those other things on your list. There's a lot for Craig Conroy and his team to get to. And this is a pretty significant one. And it's, it's also significant for the franchise because look over the last, 10 to 20 years, the Calgary Flames have gone through a lot of coaches. I'd say more than their fair share, more than the league average. I'd love to go back and look and, and study that, but it's really one of the true detriments of Brad tree living tenure was not being able to find the right fit. And that's, that's something that Craig Conroy and his team should want to get right from jump street.
1: Yeah. What, uh, where where do things sit on the other uh, vacant coaching spot in the NHL? Where do things sit right now at the New York Rangers?
2: Um, When it comes to the Rangers, I saw the report uh, from Molly Walker in the New York post yesterday that she believes it's down to two people, uh, John Hines and Peter Laviolette. By all accounts, Hines interview, I think, was on Friday with the Rangers. It went well. Uh, there seemed to be some positive energy there. And I know Chris Drury was doing his due diligence to check in with people around the league and former players, you know, sort of what they thought of, of John Hines. Mm-hmm. He's got the, the BU connection, of course. And um, that, that holds a lot of weight, I think. Um, with regards to Peter Laviolette, it's just a, it's slightly perplexing to me that um really like he's had multiple interviews. This Peter Laviolette's been available for five weeks. The the opening has been there. Um I thought going back to Gary Bettman's press conference the other day before game one of the cup final, it was fascinating to me that he's he mentioned and when asked about Joel Quenville and Stan Bowman, who Stan Bowman of course was interviewed by the flames and, and was a, a, I don't know if you want to call him a finalist, but certainly a second round participant in the search for the GM spot that he's going to speak to Joel Quenville and Stan Bowman after the final. And I'm wondering if, you know, obviously there's no shortage of interest in Heinz and and Laviolette, but, is there any chance that the Rangers are waiting on Joel Quenneville? I think that's probably a long shot. Okay. But um, just the timing of it is curious to me. They're also in a spot where they need to get it right. Um, you know, I don't know how many bullets Chris Drury is going to have as, as Rangers GM and president of Hockey Ops, but I know that their owner in James Dolan was fired up at the start of last season and wanted a coaching change then in November or December. He was able to hold him off. Gerard Gallant gets the gas pipe after they fall short in the playoffs. And I just think the seat begins to get hot in a hurry if you make the wrong hire again.
1: Yes, 100%. And as such, you can understand them doing their due diligence, I guess.
2: And by the way, you mentioned um, one coaching vacancy. I'm not entirely sold that that's Going to be the final number. Okay, we're all waiting to find out. I think it's not settled, but I think a lot of people expect Sheldon Keith to be retained by Brad Tree Living. Um, but what about the Ottawa Senators? And I, I didn't get a chance to to tweet this out yet, but I'm I'm happy to share it with you guys Ooh, in Calgary. Yes, first. please. Um, at least one of the groups vying for the Ottawa Senators ownership. Has been in conversation with Patrick Waugh. So okay. I don't know what that means for DJ Smith. Probably nothing good, but it's at least something interesting to keep an eye on.
1: How, uh, it's funny you bring up Waugh. How much interest is there around the league in him right now? You mentioned Ottawa. Like, ha- have there been overtures from other teams? Has that been a guy that has been looked at from other perspectives as
2: well? Not to my knowledge, and it's actually, like, it's shocking to me that the Rangers didn't even have a conversation and interview him. Like, played with Chris Drury, you you see him, his team, the Rampart, win the the Memorial Cup, and you go, for someone that has accomplished so much and has so much money, to see the competitive fire that burns within him, four Stanley Cups, three Conn Smites, but that as a player he's won a Jack Adams as an NHL coach of the year yep. and then now has climbed back to the top of the mountain on the junior circuit with Q and Mem Cup titles like why what are we missing here I get the stench that sort of surrounded his departure from the NHL mm-hmm. in Colorado that he was extremely involved in a way that really very few coaches have the power as he sort of held the dual coach and general manager role. And it didn't end well. My understanding is like, that's not of concern. And he just wants to coach. So like that passion, the fire that you see like that, why isn't that attractive to someone? I don't like of all the retreads that we see, like why wouldn't you give another crack to this guy?
1: Yeah. Seems like
2: he's a serial winner.
1: Yeah. it's all. I mean, and, and he's, he's, I know it didn't end in Colorado, but it end well in Colorado. you will be right. He won there too. And, and was successful there. So I'm, that's interesting. Okay. So we will uh, we will keep an eye on that from an Ottawa standpoint as Frank Saravalli's with us, our NHL Insider, Daily Faceoff, DailyFaceoff.com. Joins us Tuesdays on Flames Talk uh, in your neck of the woods, where you call home in Philadelphia, the Flyers get into work. Uh, they engage in a three-way deal with Los Angeles and Columbus on this Tuesday. Ivan Provorov, the main playing piece, he ends up in Columbus. Some salary retention uh, is in. In there LA is able to free up some cap space and Philly gets a huge haul of picks. I'm just curious as to what your thoughts are, your reaction to today's three-way deal.
2: Okay. So this is going to be an unpopular take, but buckle up. Okay. Um, I like it. I'm really puzzled by the return that the Flyers got for Ivan Provorov. And I understand that Danny Briere's hands were maybe a little bit tied Um, that at least socially people were concerned about Provorov's unwillingness to wear the pride jersey and whatever may have been connected to his value as a result of that. Like, personally, I think that should just be thrown out. Um, The Flyers didn't have to trade this player at this exact juncture. And I I guess when you break it down and boil it down – the contracts that the flyers took on were really problematic for the LA Kings. Like Cal Peterson two more years, buyout proof deal essentially, and even buried in the minors it's still almost 4 million a year for a goalie that has proven at least in these last couple years to be an AHL netminder. Plus they have a logjam of right-shot D and Sean Walker on their back end. And they needed to free up space for a guy that was healthy scratched in the playoffs. So they're able to move off 8 million bucks off their cap. And if you had said to me, given the way the market has worked and given how, look at what the flames had to cough up last year for Sean Monahan. If you had said to me, it's going to cost the Kings a first and a second to move off of Peterson and Walker if you had said that yesterday, I would have been like, okay, yeah, like I, that 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 sounds about right, makes sense to me. So then you park that thought for a second, and then you look at Provorov, and I say, one thing that the NHL in this analytics age is really bad at is properly accounting for and isolating defensemen that play on really bad teams. And the Flyers have been horrendous for the last couple years. And I watched Provorov really closely, and I thought that if he wasn't better, it was at least a coin flip through his first four years between him and Zach Warensky. Oddly enough, who he'll now play with in Columbus, who was the pick directly after him in the same draft class. Mm-hmm. So I think this guy is a stud. I think he's been playing on a bad team, I think his contract is reasonable, which they now get at a at a premium based on the salary retained by the Kings. And so if you had said to me, uh, like I said, the first and second for Peterson and Walker, the fact that then if that, like let's say that's the case, they only then end up netting a second and, and Helga Grand's a prospect who a lot of people see as like a fifth kind of defenseman. They don't. They did, some part of this equation is out of whack, whether it's the price paid for to take on those those bag of bleep contracts, <laughs> or it's the price paid to to give up Provorov. Like something isn't making sense to me, and I get that the Flyers were able to bring back, you know, a first and two seconds and blah blah. Like, but you took on some pieces that really aren't of much value and, and certainly are negative cap wise. So to crystallize it even further for you, let's take a look at the Gavrikov trade as he's likely to be extended after this. So Corpus Allo didn't really have a ton of value at the deadline because the goalie market is never really strong at the deadline. And the Kings traded at first, this 22nd overall pick that's now with the Flyers yep. and um a second for Gavrikov and Korpisawa. So if you really, since the same exact pick is now going to the Flyers, it's really kind of Provorov went today for the same as what Gavrikov went for at the deadline. And I don't even think those two players are in the same stadium. In terms of value to a team, so maybe I misvalue Provorov. Maybe I don't properly value Gavrikov. Right. But either way, something is off, and I don't think the Flyers got enough. So I'm curious. That was a really long-winded way of saying that. Well, but But it—that's just how I look at it.
1: It brings up an interesting question from there, then, because so. Regardless of if you thought the Flyers got a haul for Provorov or enough for Provorov, does this for you signify anything in terms of Philadelphia's direction here? Like, is this a uh, is this an indicator for you that maybe they are willing to rebuild or think about taking a step back? And like, is 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 this an it's indicator of anything? Clear. Okay,
2: Danny Briere, the second he was put in place as an interim, which he was anointed then, and they told him then that he would be the next GM. They didn't even conduct a search. He said then, rebuild. I'm going to rebuild. This is it. Like, we are we need to do this the right way. It's going to be painful. It's going to take a number of years. That's what the fires are doing. They're bottoming out. And it's they need to. But in order to properly bottom out, to get to where you want to get to, not only do you need to hit on your draft pick, so the Flyers need to smash on this number 20, 20, uh, 22 overall pick, they also need to get a lot for their pieces, the few pieces that they have of value. So that was Provorov, that, that's Travis Konechny, it's Joel Farabee, and it's Carter Hart. Those are your guys. Yep. And i just felt like today, knowing that that was such a critical piece of where they're heading next that it was underwhelming
1: is Carter like what are we hearing on Carter Hart? I know there are some there are some social media thoughts that maybe he might be moving. What are we hearing there
2: uh so um the flyers are indeed listening. Danny Briere has said that he said that more than a week ago, but I'm told nothing imminent, and I think part of the reason why. Carter Hart was connected to today was, I do believe the Flyers and Kings had some kind of informal talk or conversation about Carter Hart going back to last year at the deadline before they ended up pulling the trigger and acquiring Corpus Allo. Um But I think the Flyers are intrigued by what the market looks like. Okay. And we'll go from there.
1: What does this mean for Columbus? Uh, they they go out and they get the the best player, the right now piece in Provorov. Is is Columbus looking at making more big splashes this summer?
2: Well, this was their big splash, and I reported a week or two weeks ago now that they were looking to move that twenty two overall pick for a defenseman. So they this was what they had their sights set on. I. I didn't think, honestly, they'd be able to get Provorov at that price point. Right. But they're they're in a great spot because they've got Provorov. Orensky should be healthy. Uh, David Yuricek is on the way. They have a couple other really young defensemen that they're high on in Cleveland and the AHL. And they're, like, they're there. Um, They're ready to roll. And I think they're due for a big bounce-back season. I really do. Like, I, I think the Columbus Blue Jackets are going to be a playoff team next year from bottom five to playoffs, like, right in, in sharpie.
1: Okay. I uh I love – look at that. I like the boldness. Frank Saravalli's with us. He's our daily face-off NHL insider. Joins us Tuesdays here on Flames Talk – want to dive into a couple of things we heard from the commissioner and the deputy commissioner Saturday at the State of the League. One of them is Gary Bettman's continued insistence that the salary cap will only be going up $1 million. I know you and I have had this talk at different times over, I want to say, the last 9 to 12 months. What, what, what is your thought on where that stands right now as Gary continues to hold fast that it's only going to go up the $1 million?
2: Look, I've covered enough of these state-of-the-league press conferences and, unfortunately, some lockouts to understand that this is a negotiating stance. Mm-hmm. Um, they, sources indicate that the NHL and the NHLPA met. It, it'll be two weeks ago tomorrow, so two weeks ago Wednesday in New York. And one of the topics or one of the items on the table was increasing the salary cap by $3 million next season. Now the the NHL wants to attach some changes to that. They want something in return. They want to change the escrow caps that have already been negotiated. We know that that's not palatable to players. What else do they want? And when will they, you know, get to the point of making a decision? I, I've said it, and the, the easiest way to say it is, Going to a fourth straight season of a frozen or flat cap with minimal increases is no good for anyone. Yeah. Um. There, Gary Bettman's going to be getting enough heat from his own Board of Governors and GMs to know that it needs to get moving in a positive direction. And it makes no sense to me when you have a debt that's going to be paid off from players to owners in the first few weeks of next season to go through an entire year with a $1 million increase to then have it jump seven or 8 million bucks. And I understand that the league is taking a more conservative approach, given some of the unknowns about the Valley sports regional network contract that affects 12 teams and potentially hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue. Yep. But there is a way to increase the cap without touching the escrow caps based on the fact that the nhl is exceeding in a massive way revenue projections for this year they were hoping to be somewhere around five six i think and they're closing in on six billion dollars to think that a a, a jump like that um isn't out of the realm of possibility next year like it 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 seems like that's a likely case so i i still um I, i know what he said but I also know what they've said behind closed doors and I don't want to say I'm confident, but I, I think it's a real possibility that the cap is increasing.
1: Okay. Why why are we talking about expansion all of a sudden over the last number of months? Why were they asking why were people in Vegas asking about expansion on Saturday?
2: How many zeros can you write down on the piece of paper <laughs> in front of you? I mean It's an intoxicating number and it's intoxicating for the NHL. It's intoxicating for the owners who don't have to really do anything. And they get cut a check for 35, $40 million for no reason at all. Um, Does it potentially water down the league? Should the NHL be the first major North American pro sports league to go to 33 or 34 teams? I don't think so. But once you get a taste of it, um, I'd hate to make a drug reference. Once you get a taste of it, it's hard to put it down. Yeah. And it's, I get why they're like, first off, it's good to be prepared in case you have a situation like the Coyotes, where are they? But it's also really helpful to know that people want to be part of your league that are well-funded billionaires that are, you know, they want to be part of the club. So it's like a win, win, win for them. Like they're like, well, we get to have new sturdy ownership, exciting markets and teams expand our footprint. And we all get a pile of money.
1: Do we, uh, is it, Near future stuff that we see a thirty third or thirty fourth team?
2: I don't think so. Okay, um, I, I think you know we're talking like twenty twenty five ish. If if that's even a twinkle in their eye, like I think there's some things to sort out, including like this. Like think about what the sports media news of the day is. Chris Chelios, part of the cuts at ESPN. ESPN launching direct-to-consumer, Valley Sports trying to figure out direct-to-consumer. Sports media is changing in a big way right now, and that's still a huge part of the NHL's overall $6 billion revenue HRR pie that gets split with players. Whether it's 10% or 15% or 20% of it, it's a big chunk. And to have that part in flux at this exact moment in time, um, I think it's giving everyone a little bit of pause. Yeah. And it sort of, you know, makes you wonder, do we speed up the other part of this to maybe cut some of that off? Seattle and Vegas are both, to my understanding, top 10 revenue-producing teams.
1: Let's uh, – and that is that is fascinating. Let's um, – and I, I'm curious – now that we we see Vegas in the Stanley Cup Final, lots of revenue being produced there in a lot of ways. I'm just curious your thoughts on what we've seen through two games of the Stanley Cup Final. You've got Vegas up two games to none, a couple of lopsided scores as it shifts back to Florida for Game 3 on Thursday. What, uh, what have your Stanley Cup Final observations been to this point?
2: It's been a really weird first two games, hasn't it? Yeah. Like, I know the first one was a lopsided score, but especially through two periods, like you could make the case that the Panthers were actually the better team. And then they get their doors blown off in game two. And I think, look, this has been um, the question that husbands and wives have asked themselves forever. Does what happens in Vegas stay in Vegas? I don't know if that's the case. And I think if you're Paul Maurice, as much as you try and cook up a positive image, a positive message, I don't know what the Panthers can actually hang their hats on through two games. Both special teams were junk. Sergei Bobrovsky led in eight goals in 87 minutes. They are missing Radko Gudis and Etu Luostarinen. They can't break the puck out of their own end. When Mark stalls on the ice, they're not creating enough chaos in front of Aiden Hill and they're not defending well enough for anyone that's in that and Matthew Kachuk and the rest of the Panthers seem to be just a few degrees off center yep. and are a little bit unhinged yep. so like that's a whole pile of stuff to sift through in two off days that I you know is it possible that they bounce back sure I think you have to allow for the possibility but I also think you have to allow for the possibility that hey, the clock has struck midnight on Sergei Bobrovsky and he's turned back into a pumpkin. Yep. And Matthew Kachuk is going to end up with 50 penalty minutes in this series. Yeah. I don't know. Whatever it is, like, I also just happen to look at the Vegas Golden Knights and say they've been the most consistent team this postseason and I just don't see them losing four of the next five. But I don't know. I've seen crazier things happen. We've Definitely. seen the Carolina Hurricanes get their, or the New Jersey Devils, excuse me, get their doors blown off the first two games of a series. And then Winning they won seven. the series. Yep. Good stuff as always,
1: Frank. Ton of information there. Appreciate the insight. Uh, thank you so much. We'll hear you Thursday with the boys in the morning. We'll talk to you next week, hey?
2: Looking forward to it. Have a good one.
1: Thanks, Frankie. Frank Saravalli is our daily face-off NHL insider. He joins us Tuesdays on Flames Talk. Lots there about cap projections, expansion, uh, the blockbuster trade, three-way deal on this Tuesday, even a little bit more on the Flames coaching search. All right there. And Frank Saravalli joins us every week, brought to you by Self-Trail Chrysler. With inventory shortages across the city, it's the perfect time to sell your vehicle for cash. Visit SelfTrailChrysler.com. Hey, it's Haley Salvian from The Athletic. For a look at the latest on your Calgary Flames and NHL news, go click and subscribe to the Hockey Central 960 podcast. While you're there, please rate and review the show.
2: You're locked on Flames Talk, Only on Sportsnet 960 The Fan.
1: Talked a little earlier this hour about it feels like the Flames are getting close to naming a new head coach. Again, like, is it this week? Could see it, but I think that, you know, we're, we're now into the short straws and it feels like we're not that far off from an announcement coming. I, I, I mentioned that of the finalists, the, the three that I believe that uh, there's four or five guys that Elliot Friedman's reported are, are in the mix or that they've got it down to that number. The three guys that I believe are part of that mix are the two internals, Mitch Love and Ryan Huska. And and Travis Green, formerly of the Canucks, are, are the three that I believe that are in there. But um, there's at least a, another, if not a couple of others that are in that mix as well. That um, I'm I'm not I don't know who they are, or or I'm not as certain on. It would just be speculating on. I'm a little bit more like I I do believe that to be true, and I'm pretty confident in that. Um, I mean, look, the internal guys we've been talking about since Daryl Sutter was fired, um, and a couple weeks later when Craig Conroy was installed as general manager, we had a sit down with him and he said, yes, absolutely. Ryan Huska, Kirk Muller, um, and Mitch love will all be heavily considered for the job. So the, the fact that we're talking about Huska, the fact that we're talking about love, for instance, not a surprise at all. We've believed them to be front runners from the get go. And if they, Frank told us earlier this hour, it felt like an internal hire from the get go. I felt like that's been the front runner from the get-go. I felt like that's the best course of action from the get-go. But again, similar to their internal hire a general manager, Steinberg and Vickers, by the way, as this hour of Stock continues... They cast a wide net and they did beyond, I think, their due diligence in making sure that when they went with Craig, who was already right in front of them, that they knew it and they could solidify it and that could bolster his authority a little bit more. And I think the same is true if they go internally as a head coach. They cast a wide net. They talk to a lot of guys. And if they do end up going with Ryan or or Mitch, I think the fact that they did go down such an extensive road as their head coach. I think that really bolsters who whoever that internal hire could be, if that's the way they go.
0: I don't disagree. And not that this should be the basis for your decision-making. I would probably be of the opinion that if it's not one of them, you might lose both of them to other organizations. So from a protecting standpoint, yes, there's that as well. You've invested plenty of time in Ryan Huskin and developing him as a head coach you've invested certainly some time in Mitch love and you know, with the idea that perhaps down the road, he can be a head coach as well. Wouldn't be shocking if either one of them are named the head coach of the Calgary flames and the other bumped up to an associate position, not necessarily an assistant. There's a little nuance in there. title, salary, so on and so forth. Salary. Salary. Responsibility to a degree. Um, But as we saw with the hiring of Craig Conroy as the general manager, there is a benefit to going internally, particularly with Huska, knowing the personnel, knowing the jump. The only concern I have with an internal is making that jump from either the minor league coach to the head coach of the big team or moving from an assistant to the head coach and immediately commanding that room. Not that that's not possible. Not that it hasn't happened in other organizations, We've certainly seen it work. We've certainly seen it not work um, in other organizations across the league. That would be my one concern. But having said that, it would also be the first place I look in replacing Daryl Sutter.
1: Okay, here's the reason why I felt like the internal road is the way to go for the Flames on both hires. The plan was not to make either change. The plan was the ideal circumstance from a flame standpoint, the way they were looking at it, was Brad True Living's back Last as general manager. You're no, this we're, summer. Okay. Like the what we've seen so far since the season's ended. Okay. They, they wanted Brad True Living to return as general manager. Yeah. That didn't happen for reasons on both sides. And going into this season, you don't give Daryl Sutter a two-year right. contract extension. That hat doesn't even kick in until the following year, unless you believe he's going to be there for so, so neither of these things, if you go back a little bit less than a year ago going into training camp, I don't think anybody was thinking, okay, well, we're gonna be we're gonna be looking for a new GM and a new coach at the end of this year. And so the way that the team has been structured and the way that they went about their business last summer was all for Continuing with the group that was in place and two of those humans who were extremely important and impactful in shaping the way the flames are going to go are gone, but they set themselves on a course that I think staying with a little continuity and promoting from within and not deviating too much from the road that you already put yourself on for better or worse with the Huberto signing and the Cadre signing and all of that. It just, it makes more sense than it normally would to give yourself that familiarity. And a lot of times what happens with internal hires, you talked about it, you know, being promoted from within doesn't always work more so at coach, but even at GM. But in this case, it just it feels, at least in my opinion, like the internal road might be the way to keep things on track a little bit more and give yourself as a team a better opportunity to bounce back like the team wants to do next year.
0: And the thing I will concede to you in this argument, this debate, this heated fight we're having right now over who the next head coach of the Calgary Flames is. You have that familiarity in a new hire, whether it's Mitch Love, whether it's Ryan Huska, but you're bringing in a significantly different personality to helm that team, to guide that team, to lead that team than what you had from Daryl Sutter. Mitch Love isn't Daryl Sutter 2.0. Ryan Huska isn't Daryl Sutter 2.0. So while you're still bringing in the familiarity, there is a very distinct difference in the way that whichever head coach comes in, is going to approach that group. So while you are getting that con- continuity, you are also getting that breath of fresh air as you go about it.
1: Yeah. What? Uh, what? It, and again, I, I I believe Travis Green is is one yep. of the guys in in the the. Last
0: I wonder about group a guy like Alex Tongay as well, who's got familiarity with. Craig Conroy, could absolutely see
1: that. T- Green's now, name No, I'm just been... tossing that out. Yes, I don't absolutely. know anything
0: about that. I'm just pure well, speculation. And again,
1: Green's name has been brought up by insiders, so it's not like it's a surprise that he's one of the finalists. And so if Tongay was, it wouldn't be a surprise if he's one of the finalists either. And we're saying finalists because they're kind of down to their, their short list is what it's being reported right now. So that's why I guess we're we're extrapolating that they would be quote-unquote finalists. But no, Tongay was from the very word go... That was the first external candidate I think that Elliot Friedman threw out there. Or the first quote unquote off the board candidate that he threw out there. He said, I remember it was during a second intermission. He talked about love. He talked about Mueller. He talked about Huska. I think he threw one
0: other name in there that was a name I'm missing that I can't seem to grasp. Maybe it
1: was Laviolette, Maybe it was Gallant. I don't remember who it was. And then he said, "And don't count out Ryan. Huss, uh, sorry, don't count out Alex, Alex Tonge." And and so yeah, if he was in the the final group and the shortlist group, I don't think that would be a surprise either.
0: There is one like incredibly off the board name I'm missing. I don't. Yes, thank you. Yeah, because I've spent way too much time in Europe, disconnected from the Flames and their coaching situation, their GM situation. That was the name I was looking for, and again has ties to the organization. Yeah.
1: So I just it's it's I I think that we're getting there now. Green Green's interesting to me. I thought he actually did some really good things while is it was in Vancouver and
0: Pat's complimenting the Vancouver Canucks.
1: He I mean look they they went on that Cinderella run in the bubble uh, under Green and I just the whole thing with the way Green's tenure ended I don't think he was doing a great job necessarily. But that organization was an absolute tire fire, and they had this whole like Jim Benning and John Weisbrod. and, and like th- that that organization. You play was the hand you're dealt, to a
0: degree as a head well, coach. Well, and they
1: had made that horrible trade for Ekman Larson, and they they were just an absolute mess, and they were off to a miserable start. And while I don't think Green was necessarily at the time part of the solution, the problem was made by Jim Benning. And and Frankie Aquilini and, and his insistence that they had to be good and they had to remain competitive and all of that. So they were an absolute tire fire. They brought in Bruce Boudreaux. And what do you know, like a year later, poor Bruce was in the Another same Another tire fire. So, so I find it hard to judge too much the job that the bad stuff near the end of Travis Green's tenure, because a year and a bit later, the exact same thing happened to Bruce. And so... Yeah, Rick Tockett came in and, and did a nice job, but will it surprise anybody if Tockett's in the same situation next year with the, with the mess that is the Vancouver Canucks? I don't think it would surprise a single person. So I guess all that's a long way of saying, from a Travis Green standpoint, I don't think that, his exit from Vancouver and how poorly it went near the end of his time in Vancouver is necessarily representative of the overall job that he did. And I still think that there's a lot of good that green can do as a head coach. So I I don't mind him being one of the guys very much in the mix.
0: It'll be curious. I mean, I'm not privy to the conversations that they're currently having to one, two or three or four of these candidates. But again, I understand taking the external approach and getting a fresh voice and a fresh face in that locker room to manage these 22, 23 players. I also understand the benefit of continuity with a fresh voice heading up this group as well. I'll be curious to see what route they take. And, and again, rolling out once we have the availability, the justification for going that route. Yeah.
1: Still feels like an internal hire, but we'll see. And Uh, Maybe we'll find out this week who the next head coach of the Calgary Flames is. Uh, We did get a slight salary cap update from Commissioner Gary Bettman over the weekend in his State of the League. Uh, This is what Gary Bettman said when asked about the way the salary cap is going to go. Based on our current projections, there will still be some escrow. And that means that the cap will go up by a million dollars, give or take. And... uh, I think we, we actually had a discussion about it uh, with the meeting I was referring to with Marty. Uh, and the fact of the matter is the, the cap changes, by definition, are inextricably interwoven with what the escrow
0: amount is. And I think it's probably safest to say that we're going to live with the agreement as it was last negotiated. And it is what it is.
1: But having said that, I think it's overwhelmingly likely, following season we go to a more normal cap increase. So that was Gary Bettman on Saturday. Now earlier this hour here on Flames Talk, Frank Saravalli said, "Look, he still believes that this could go up three million dollars." As much as Gary just poured cold water over that speculation again, there has been a talk with the new NHLPA executive director Marty Walsh, and there's been lots a of, lot of talk there. Um, every time I say Marty, I want to think of Marty Bird from Ozark, but it's Marty Walsh.
0: See, and I go jelly.
1: Marty Jelena. I was even going to make a joke,
0: but you jumped, to, Happy jumped ahead Happy belated Happy
1: birthday to Marty Jelena. Um, so I, I don't know exactly what the cap number is going to be. I don't know how to read the negotiating stance. Maybe it's one, maybe it's three. I have no idea. If it's only one million, though, that adds even more fuel to the fire that we talked about before you left for World Championships. Yep about them might have they, they, the Flames might have no choice but to move a rostered player on a decent contract. And, and if they were to do that, probably a guy on their blue line because that's the area of strength they'd be dealing from. A $1 million increase almost puts them in a spot where they have to in that regard, especially if they want to try to upgrade it forward. But even still, if they want to ice a proper roster, they might have no choice but to do that.
0: Well yeah, they're and they're let's make it clear. They're not in sort of rare territory. This is going to be 20ish teams yes. battling for it, which is why this is such a discussion league wide. And in listening to Frank's conversation with you, I understand the desire from a player perspective and just a team perspective as well where you go if you only bump it one this year and then bump it seven the next year. That's what's not that's that's not as advantageous I think to anybody as opposed to whether it's team or player as opposed to doing 3 and then 4 or 5 the next year bridging the gap a little bit so that you're not just seeing a massive significant jump because if I'm a player that's heading to unrestricted free agency right now in 1 month's time and I feel confident in my abilities to be an NHLer after that I'd be looking at you know signing a one year little mini bridge deal to get me to that massive jump because there's going to be suddenly 7 million dollars times 32 teams yeah. available on the yeah. open market and I'm going to cash in more next summer than I am this. Fair. And then from a Calgary Flames perspective, as you you want to roll it back, they're already up against it as is. So if you give all these teams just a little bit more of that breathing room, suddenly I think you're going to see a lot more movement in the off-season and what teams are able to do because they're not up against it.
1: Yeah. I uh yeah, I I just it feels silly if they just Stick with the $1 million increase because that's what's written down. Like the, There's so much ability here for wiggle room. As Frank said earlier this hour, the debt will be paid off weeks into the regular season. Why not just do it? Now, I get it that the NHL and the NHLPA never just do things for one another without expecting right. something back. So I get the way that bargaining works. Kind of like our relationship. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Very transactional. But, It just seems common sense is screaming, do one thing, and we're hearing the other thing.
0: Process, Um, though. Process, process, process.
1: Exactly. And it seems like maybe they're being a little bit too beholden to the uh, process here. But yes, I just feel like that might light a fire or, or, or add a little bit more fuel to the fire of the Hannafin trade conversation or a Zadorov trade or a Tanev trade. And I, I focus on guys on the back because they've got some solid depth back there. They've got Uyghur's money coming onto the cap on the back next year. They've got Shillington coming back next year. So they would be able to, I think absorb moving away one of those guys in a more financially motivated deal as opposed to doing so at forward, whereas we know they're nowhere near as deep, or da- deep rather, and nowhere near as stacked.
0: And who knows? Maybe Provorov set the market for what a defenseman's going to go in the offseason. Now a different scenario is because Philadelphia didn't necessarily need to clear cap space, but first and two seconds for a guy that was in theory your number one. Yep.
1: And Hannafin's young,
0: top pair, six
1: hundred NHL games under his belt. So, and
0: again, I don't. I'm not trying to move any one of these
1: guys out of town. I'm not saying get them out of here. I just think that if it only goes up a million dollars, it's going to ramp the temperature up on that conversation. Uh, Aaron Vickers is back from Europe and uh, back from the World Championship. He's on Twitter at AA Vickers. My name is Pat Steinberg, our producers this hour on Flames Talk have been Cam and Azam. My name is Pat Steinberg as we start to wrap things up on the Sports Drive, brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Ask how a restricted key system can keep your business safe even through employee turnover. Visit calgarylockandsafe.com.